Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Grand Iron Blitz right here on TuneIn, Google Cast, Player FM, Apple Podcasts, and also on the biggest platform in podcasts, iHeartRadio, and as always on Blog Talk Radio, episode 301 in the house today. We are going to have another Hall of Famer from the WNFC, the WNFC COO, and the Texas Elite Champion and Team USA Champion, Elizabeth uh, Dillo Jenkins, will be here in a couple minutes. And we have Flying Solo today. No co-host today, busy uh, winter for everybody else, but uh, we will get through these two amazing two hours of information. So we are going to dive into the NFL. That was week 13. We're going to kind of look into week 14. Then we're going to dive into college football and kind of dissect the college game at this point. And then a lot of action happening international as Women's Championship Weekend happened in Australia, happened in Brazil. And as well, it happened in Mexico. So of all those places, we got to get to the women's recaps as well. Championship weekend, go to the hub right now at facebook.com forward slash gridironbeaties. Get the lowdown of what's happening in the women's game internationally. And a lot of champions. Shout out and congratulations to Amanda Ewers and uh, Christy Moran out there for an amazing game, 18-12. to 12, And the Griffith Thunder uh, get the championship Sun Bowl 2019 and our uh, no joke football athletes one of them MVP as well Christy Moran MVP in the previous Sun Bowls as well so shout out to the Griffith Thunder and Amanda yours out there for winning the uh, gridiron Sun Bowl in gridiron Queensland we'll have updates and action from the playoffs in gridiron New South Wales from the action in gridiron West as well as we have action and also playoffs in Grand Victoria. We'll dive into Brazil in terms of the championship, dive into the three aspects in Mexico, which is Lexpa, FX Mexico, and LaFi. So a lot of things to get to. If you missed anything during the week, uh, you go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties, as well as thank you to all our network partners for providing us the live feeds via YouTube, via live stream, as well as all sports TV over in Brazil. So uh, if you are not aware of it, I'm going to make you aware of it now. Uh, we are the best network on the planet covering women's gridiron uh, internationally as well as domestically. So the best network on the planet is at the hub at facebook.com forward slash gridiron beauties. You can also go to Twitter at gridiron beauty. And we're having winter sales at zazzle.com. So check it out. There's a referral link out there. If you spend up to $25, it's on Twitter and it's on Facebook. If you spend up to $25 there, uh, you get about 20% off as well. So if you got a bigger code on a daily sale, use that as well to take advantage of the sales. If you subscribe to Zazzle Black for about $10, you get free shipping in the U.S. as well. So it's a pretty good deal. Uh, help support the podcast, support the brand as well, and they bring awareness to the women's game internationally as well as domestically. So a lot of things happened this past weekend. Uh, and uh, Thursday night of no, no, it was Chicago taking on Detroit Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving uh, with their families. And if you traveled, obviously 
Hopefully you traveled safe and everything was great. I know I did. Um, we had a turkey. We had everything traditional, including pies. So it worked out really well for us at home. And so I, I hope everybody had a great time with their families as well for Thanksgiving. But big, big games on Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, Thursday night, Chicago, 24-20 to 20 over Detroit. Uh, and then on Monday night, it was a really big game. The Seahawks, 37-30 to 30 over Minnesota. Uh, and then Sunday, it was Houston uh, edging New England, which the Patriots really looked very ordinary. First time in a while that we've seen uh, Tom Brady really frustrated. Uh, the offense really not dialed. Uh, they're missing a wide receiver. I think a key wide receiver. They don't have Gronk. Gordon is left. Uh, I mean, it's just a shuffle out there. AB never didn't work out. Um, so it, it worked out really horrible for them. But they did come back and try to make a comeback late. Uh, but it goes to show that uh, Lamar Jackson is the guy now. If, I, if you haven't noticed it, this is it. Uh, this is the young quarterback that's going to be the star of this league in the next uh, five to ten years and then obviously throw in uh, Patrick Mahomes and you got to throw in um, Watson in Houston as well so um, you know Deshaun Watson as well Um, and he did a great job Watson uh, took care of that so we got the three top quarterbacks here uh, taking care of business now Uh, New England really is starting to look at Offensively, they are really uh, anemic. A lot of Patreon fans on Twitter and on the social sites really disappointed with what's happening. A lot of them even thinking that Brady should just hang him up now and you know bring in somebody else to transition with for the last remaining games. But as we know it before, we have seen the script, uh, the New England script. It is not the best script in the regular season, but they are able to – build excitement for a new movie as the playoffs come around. So they have potential to really put together a run in the playoffs, and we know that that's cap- they're capable of it. Uh, looming in, in the AFC East would be the Bills as they're an up-and-coming team. And a shout-out to Callie Brunson out there and the Bills for staying relevant. They're under the radar. They're making some things happen. Uh, people are not noticing it as much. So uh, shout-out to the Bills out there and uh, – Callie Branson for, you know, standing on the radar. Today's news was really kind of shocking in a way. Um, Tepid, the owner of the Patriots, decided to go ahead and can uh, uh, Coach Rivera with four, game, four games remaining or so. And his reasoning behind it really wasn't anything but, hey, I want to go ahead and make the change now because I want to browse and see what kind of coaches are still available and who's going to make a new, uh, you know, an a good impression in the last four weeks of the season. So he's going to have interim coaches really leading the Panthers in the last uh, four or five uh, weeks of the season here. And uh, so Coach Rivera, really no different than Jason Garrett. And there was a lot of people on Twitter really uh, bringing that up as well, uh, that the fact that, you know, Jason Garrett survived this long and Coach Rivera almost similar records in terms of output. And But the difference, I guess, would be the owner's. I guess uh, Jerry Jones really thinks that Jason Garrett, uh, Jason Garrett is worthy of keeping his job. Well, uh, Mr. Tepet there is, is thinking the change is needed now. And he just bought the team two years ago, so it really looks like he just wants to make that transition to his status and make a statement there and try to elevate the Carolina Panthers back to some sort of 
uh, relevant playoff positioning. Um, so we'll see how that works out there. But Coach Rivera is fired in Carolina. A very reliable uh, coach. You would think uh, maybe Car- maybe Cincinnati needs them. Maybe another lousy team out there in the NFL would take them. Uh, even Cleveland maybe. Uh, there's a lot of options for Coach Rivera to go to. Um, I'd take him on the Rams in a heartbeat. I mean, he's a really, really good coach. So uh, at this point, I think just the uh, the owner just decided that he no longer wanted to go in this direction and decided to change his mind and go in a different direction. So we'll see how that turns out um, in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom Brady over the hill is really the question based on the uh, performance that he had against Deshaun Watson. And so I don't know if that's going to, you know, be the case going forward, but that'll be the question as we get closer and closer in the next couple of weeks. Uh, if he doesn't play as well, if he doesn't output as well, uh, we are going to get to that stage where um, we're going to have to question his worthiness on the team now and potential uh, maybe moving on to someone else. I don't think they have anybody here, but it is kind of interesting to see whether they draft a quarterback or whether they are going to take a quarterback from another, you know, avenue which would be maybe from college at this point just bring him in i don't know who's second or third string i didn't write my notes on that but reality is that's where tom brady's at at this point and we'll see how that turns out for him in terms of whether the patriots keep rolling or is this just a hiccup and he's just going to turn it around and and muster it back up as the playoffs come around so we'll see how that works out uh, nfl wise i think you have to watch at this point so some of the takeaways, I think the takeaway for this year so far, you would have to say is the three young quarterbacks in the NFL. We have a transition like we had with Manning, with with uh, Brady, and, uh, you know, we have River still. Uh, there's a couple of quarterbacks that we still have from the previous transition, you know, Eli Manning at, before that. Um, so at this point, I think if you take away nearly from every week of this season, it literally feels – like uh, it, it is, it's unfolding to the point where you have young superstars at the positions making the season very exciting, and you start there at the quarterback position. Um, so Lamar in, in Baltimore, uh, Mahomes in Kansas City, Watson in Houston. Um, so, it, you know, they are potentially the faces of the National Football League in the next 10, I would say at least 10 years, uh, barring any injuries or barring any type of, you know, drastic, obviously, uh, situation that would happen to them. Jackson's probably the most dangerous dual threat quarterback uh, that we've seen since like maybe Michael Vick. Michael Vick, I think in my eyes was the potential dual threat quarterback. Um, Atlanta or the Falcons didn't really utilize him that well where Baltimore is really built around Jackson and it's given him a good line so far, um, able to penetrate, make decisions on the fly, which is either run or sweep or throw if needed. A top defense like the one in San Francisco, um, you know, that was tough, but he got through it on Sunday, and he gets the win. So so he proves right off the bat it's a good matchup. Everybody assumes or is thinking that this is the Super Bowl matchup. We'll see how durable the Niners go in the next uh, three weeks. And this is going to determine the NFC West. So coming up this weekend, Seattle will face the Rams, which is a key matchup in the NFC West, considering the Niners. The Rams must lose to Seattle in order for the Niners' path to be pretty much secure. 
if the if the Niners uh, if the Rams win against Seattle, then we have a totally different picture in the NFC West. So it's a really crucial situation there. Um, we have that, and then the two games coming up here on Thursday, and then you have the games on Monday night. Really disappointing. The NFL has really disappointed in a lot of ways, and so their matchups are really not that great in terms of what's coming up this this weekend. So we had Dallas with NFC East, I would say, not really implications because everybody in the, in the NFC, uh, NFC East really stinks. And Chicago in the north, not much. So Trubisky against Prescott, well, I mean, Prescott's really durable. Elliott, if you want to watch Elliott. But Dallas has played down on almost every matchup, and they've only played good on like two or three matchups in the last five weeks. So this is a key element for the, the Cowboys if they want to step it up. Is Garrett's job on the line? If Dallas loses to the Bears, is Jason Garrett's job on the line? That is the real question that we're going to ask ourselves. But I think reality is probably not. If anything, he would get fired maybe at the end of the season and dismissed. But given Jerry Jones's inclination to do it now up to this point, maybe not the case either. So we'll see how that works out in terms of whether he's going to be able to do it or not. Um, but I'll see what happens there. Um, the Giants uh, retooling, basically. Philadelphia uh, also in that mode. Um, don't know where we're going to go here, but the NFC East, like I said, Philly must win here. The Giants kind of like if they can get a win, that would be great, but it's more of a detriment to Philly to lose. They have to win. Dallas has to win if they want to stay in contention and try to make the uh, playoffs at this point. So crucial games in the NFC East coming Thursday night and coming Monday night, uh, Monday night football. Hopefully they, they live up to some sort of really good billing here and they get going in terms of, you know, of excitement for us. So we'll see how that goes. So the two questions really is going to be, is Tom Brady over the hill? Is Jason Garrett worthy of keeping his job? And of course, uh, Ron Rivera loses his job. So it's really uh, kind of a bad week in, in that sense on Tuesday of all days. I mean, he could have let it play out, but I guess Mr. Tepid decided, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go ahead and take care of that. Um, the other question we're running into is, you know, ever since Andrew Luck left, are the Colts, you know, the Colts have been doing really well. And so with Brissett, and so it's becoming apparent that maybe Brissett won't be the long-term answer at quarterback for the Colts despite a good, you know, initial start. So the Colts really are the ones – that probably going to have to look into um, the draft and see what they can get. So can they get Tua? But Tua's injured, and that would be the question that a lot of people ask. Can they get Tua uh, Tagovailoa from the Alabama? And we'll see if, if they can do that or not. But we'll talk about college in a little bit. We'll, like I said, we'll run down the recap in the NFL for week 14. We'll kind of revisit week, uh, week 13 in some aspects as well. And then we're going to talk college football for a little while in a couple of minutes, probably in another half hour. We'll dive into the last hour into the women's recaps, which is an exciting championship weekend, like I said, in Mexico, Australia, Brazil. Uh, last week it was Costa Rica. We still have a, a season in Honduras. Uh, we have a lot of action happening all over the globe. So we'll keep tabs at the hub at facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauty. So you can go to the uh, Twitter feed at Grand Beauty. And don't forget to check out our Instagram. Instagram is the Griffith Thunder. 
Amanda Ewers and the Griffith Thunder, congratulations to them for finally getting the Sun Bowl victory. It was their third shot, and this time they get it. They edge the Bayside Ravens 18-12. to 12. You can watch it at the Hub via the uh, Gridiron Queensland live feed. Uh, shout out to Kenny Andrus out there doing a great job out there and uh, we're, we're a good broadcast as well. And you also get to watch the Brazilian Championship as well, all sports out there as well. So you go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Beauties. And we have Zazzle Sales, as I mentioned before at the beginning of the top of the hour here. Zazzle Sales. Go to zazzle.com forward slash Beauties and get marble. Every major brand out there you can create, you can customize, or you can go to the shop at zazzle.com forward slash Beauties. You can get up to 40% off on T-shirts, up to 20% off on everything else at the shop. So check it out. And we'll be in Vegas December 4th through the 8th, which is in a couple of days here. So I'm really excited to be there. Second Annual Women's Hall of Fame. And it's going to be December 4th through the 8th. And today we're going to have in the house the talented uh, Team USA and Texas Elite Nine Cup champion. And, of course, the WNFC COO. And that would be Elizabeth Billow Jenkins. Elizabeth, how's it going? Hey, Oscar. How are you? I'm good. I'm flying solo, so a lot of yeah, a lot of talking. Yeah, one man show tonight, huh? Oh, I'm telling you, it's gonna be great. Um, so Elizabeth, uh, I'll get to see you in about 48 hours almost. So I'll be there yeah, over on yeah, Thursday we, night. Uh, yeah, we get on a plane in the morning and uh, head there. I think we'll be there a little bit before noon tomorrow. So. And what what better place to have it than Vegas? So whoever planned this I know, right? was really a genius. You know what I mean? Yeah, they 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 spend a lot of time on it. Um, you know, I know the the crew or some of the crew that that plans it, and um, they do a good job. You know, it was, it was a really nice event last year, and I'm looking forward to this year as well. All right, uh, Elizabeth, you have a lot of things on your shoulder. Uh, you know, you you just got recently married. You're hooked up to Jenkins over here, which sometimes gets a little crazy, right? Um, so <laughs> you know how that works? Yep. Yeah, so um, um, not to say, not to say Odessa's not a great person, but sometimes it gets a little crazy, right? It is crazy. It is crazy. She definitely keeps me moving, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, we, um, we balance each other well. Um, she's one that is, you know, she's full of ideas um, and – um, not always the bandwidth to execute, um, and I'm a doer, so it uh, it works out well. A good good pair. Yeah, I've seen some uh, um, some reels of. You could probably put some something on uh, YouTube or something like that, but very comical between you, the two of you, and it works yeah. out really well, I guess, for entertainment. Yeah, yeah, she's hilarious. She's I literally laugh all the time. She's hilarious. When I say she keeps me on my toes, it's a, it's a very true statement. All right. Um, Elizabeth, you were at Vancouver. You experienced, uh, you know, the international flair that is the IFAB World Championships. And then you go to Denver and the inaugural WNFC Cup. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people uh, think very highly of you in terms of your position. It's probably one of the top players in the women's game. So you get the call to Vegas. I mean, that shouldn't be that shouldn't have surprised you, I guess, in a way. You know, it. Um, I was hoping and dreaming of the day. Um, 
you know, I don't, I'm not one to um, assume anything um, or assume many things. And, and that's one of those things that I was um, anxious for my turn. Um, didn't know when it was going to be, was hopeful that it was going to be. Um, but when I, yeah, um, when I found out, when I got the email, it was, um, uh, it was a feeling like no other, you know, I think that there were some definite milestone, um, things in my, in my path in women's football and winning the gold medal, um, or, you know, first finding out that I made the, the Team USA team, that was one, and then winning the gold medal, and then winning my first championship. You know, I would played for years and years and years and years with the Cleveland Fusion and gave the same um, all-in effort and mentality and attitude, you know, for the organization and the team that I do um, in any team that I'm with, and, you know, we just, we always had a tough road um, and never, never could finish it, you know? So that was quite a feeling, you know, to really, really, truly finish one. Um, and it was a really good feeling. Well, you know, the transition in women's uh, gridiron, I mean, you've in especially in the U S has always been sort of a puzzle mentality in the off seasons. So when you look at the WNFC scope, of last year, everything you guys brought to the platform, you know, mobile access, uh, live streaming type mentality. Um, is that something that you have, you know, put the vision forward? Because as, as COO, you really have kind of like have to put that up there, right? You, you got to brainstorm things ahead of time. You got to plan, you know, things in, in the future mentality. Um, we've yeah. never had that before. I don't think in women's, in the women's game because we've always had the pay to play mentality, which is kind of traditionally more like a nonprofit and just looked like the WNFC last year really was more into a real business model, which kind of, I think shocked a lot of people in a way because the, the effort and the results were really impressive in other words. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, one of the things that I um, struggle with just in general is patience. I am one that I'm, I'm not like an immediate gratification type person. I want it now. Um, and um, finding a way to celebrate the successes um, as we um, grow year after year you know, and, and, and really truly realizing that the things that we're doing, even though we're not where we want to be yet, um, that we are, we are changing the game, you know, and, and every year it's getting better um, and it's going to continue to get better. So I have to, I have to, you know, remind myself of that frequently because, you know, I'm one of those ones that says, okay, well, we want to get rid of, of player fees and, you know, make it so the girls don't have to, you know, continue to give everything that they've got financially for, um, for, you know, just to play the sport that they love. Um, but it's going to take us time to get there. You know, that's the reality. It's going to take us time to get there. So Elizabeth, uh, you've seen different models. You've seen a lot of things happen in the sport in your time, you know, from Cleveland to Dallas and all that stuff. So you, like I said to your, you know, do you want it now, I think all of us really just, okay, we want it now. 
But in reality, that's not how it works. I mean, we've seen the WNBA. Mm-hmm. We've seen other leagues spring up, and they had bigger money and a lot more resources, and they still go defunct. So is it more of a strategy just to take it one step at a time, one season at a time? Is that what we're doing right here? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's continuing to get um, the big brands to mm-hmm. recognize us and buy into us as partners. Um, and we were able to solidify some pretty huge partnerships and sponsorships year one. And, you know, year two, we, we go a little deeper, right? We ask for a little bit more. Um, we leverage the ones that we got to get a few more, you know, and, and there are going to be some pretty exciting partnerships that are, um, that are announced if they haven't been announced already. Sometimes I can't keep up with, with where we're at um, and what's, you know, what's released and what's in the, in the pipeline. Um, but you know, that's, that's the plan is every year we're going to keep building. Um, and until, you know, one year and it's going to happen, somebody says, Hey, we want, you know, we want this, we want to do this and we want to do this the right way. Elizabeth, how much pressure is it on you and the leadership or the executive group to really, uh, you know, deliver, for the top brands because their expectations are obviously going to be driven by, you know, generate generating funds or generating uh, interest or generating attendance. Right. So there's like certain yeah. relationships that you have to have, right. In order for you to retain yeah. those sponsorships as well. Right. Yeah. There's relationships, there's commitments on our end, right. It's not just a, what do they give us? It's what can we do for them too? So it's, you know, there's the pressure of, what we have to deliver back to them, but there's also the pressure of just not, you know, not wanting to let down any of the people that have supported us and, and bought into us and believe in us and share the same vision as us. Um, you know, so there's a lot of pressure, right. Um, but I, I had a, an old coach, uh, back in the day, tell me that pressure was a privilege earned by being great. And, and reminding myself of that, even though there are times where I'm just like, <laughs> you know, can, can we pile anything more on? Um, reminding myself of that is, um, and understanding that we are here um, because this is the plan, right? This, the plan is, is for us to, to be the forefront for this. So, Elizabeth, uh, let everybody know a little background for you. What What is your background strong point? Is it management? Is it what What's the background for Elizabeth Dillo Jenkins in a business sense? Uh, I am really good at getting shit done, um, and I'm really good at facilitating that happening. So, um, you know, it, from a, a professional standpoint, I work in – project management slash product ownership um, at Charles Schwab. And I've been with Schwab for, for quite a while now. Um, and just, you know, worked my way up within the company to where I'm in a, um, a position now um, on a um, critical project for the firm, you know, that's going to last for about two years. Um, and it just, it's, it's a lot of my, my personality and my skill set that align um, that make me a, a good candidate for those, that position. It's the, those same skills um, and, you know, qualities that I use to handle the business that needs to be handled for, for football. So the self, the self pressure, I know I was in sales before, you know, in a younger age, 
it's really commission based in a lot of ways. It's cutthroat. Um, you got to have a pipeline. You know, you got to have some sort of stability. Also, you got a lot of coaching when you go into sales and commissions and things like that. So, when you do all that stuff, it really makes you a better person because you're not collecting a paycheck on a weekly week basis. So, you really have to create a paycheck. And so, a lot of potential goes into it. A lot of relationships and networking and a lot of things come into play. And I think a lot of people don't relate relate to that, and they just assume, you know, they're going to get paid out Friday. Um, I was at a young age when I went to that stage, and I can tell you right now it was kind of eye-opening for 12 months because how do you pay the mortgage, how you pay the rent, you know, how you pay the bills, things like that, and you got to be really good at what you're doing. So if you're, you know, product knowledge-based and all that, you're really good at what you're doing. You're, you're a good salesman. So, you know, pressure comes from that, but also – elevates your game to another level in terms of relationships, in terms of, um, you know, just building a book of business, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely been, um, you know, both both with my, my nine to five, as well as um, everything that I've been doing with the women's football um, and the league, it's been a period of growth, right? Um, and I'm not always going to get it right. And that's part of what I'm learning and, and being comfortable with that, right? Learning that, mm-hmm. that fear that I have of failure, um, that it's, it's something that I can't hang on to. You have to let that fear go um, because you, we learn from our failures, right? We learn from our mistakes and, and we mm-hmm. pick up and keep moving. And OJ is um, really, really good at reminding me that we're a startup business um, and that startup businesses don't always get it right, right? The first time around, you learn as you go. Um, and that's, I remind myself of those things as we, as we move along, you know, and, and being um, open to feedback and, and criticism, you know, positive critique and, and all that on, um, on what we're doing and how we're doing it, right? We're, we're only as strong um, as our, our entire team around us, right? So if teams are coming up to the plate and we have some um, really good organizations in the WNFC and their owners bring things to the plate and they're like, Hey, this is good, but you might want to, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, you know, thank you. Um, Or, or, you know, some, sometimes it's pointing out our flaws too, things that we're doing incorrectly or saying incorrectly or things that we need to be mindful of. And um, you know, you have to, you have to take all that, um, you know, um, head on and you can't, you can't get defensive about stuff like that. You just got to learn and grow and keep moving. Elizabeth, uh, a lot was said earlier, you know, how we go through a transition in women's football where a little bit of drama in the offseason causes a lot of disaster for the regular season sometimes because we go into a mode where we want certain results, but we don't get them. So, like, you know, for example, we got the offseason where leagues spring up, leagues collapse, teams move on, they shift and everything else. Uh, what is the stability of the membership? Because last time we talked to – uh, Odessa and uh, Bryant, um, they're, they're basically said that the membership in this league is really vetted first, but it has to be viable for those to be in the league. So the vision has to be the same, basically, right? Yeah, no, for sure. We're, we're buying into um, the, the person, right? So when we're vetting teams, we're, we're, understanding the um, people that are inquiring we're we're looking at them as business owners, right. Um, And what's their experience there. And, you know, some of the more successful organizations in our 
league, the owners that run those teams run their own business, you know, aside from their team. And that says a lot because, you know, small business ownership and being an entrepreneur, it requires a, a certain level of discipline. And this is something that you have to be committed to as a business, right? You can't come into this league and think we're going to handle it like a rec league because we're not. You know, we ask a lot of our teams. We ask our teams to move as one, right? We ask them to hold up, you know, everybody gets excited, wants to go announce certain things. Whoa, we can't. Hold on. We got to do this as one, you know, and and those are some of the things that require um, coordination across you know, what is it, 20 different teams now? And it's, it's a lot, you know, it's definitely a lot. Um, but it's raising the bar. Like you said, it's, it's um, there are people that will fit and there are people that won't fit. And we're okay with that and they're okay with that. Now, the branding in the years past, um, you know, I've spoken to, I mean, covering it for over nine years, 10 years, I've spoken to the branding part of it, which is when you do marketing, the brand, just like the NFL, the NBA, you know, every, everything else, college universities, a, a brand shield or a brand name or a moniker or whatever really has to be uh, embedded into the fan base. In other words, you know, whether it yep. be the, the team fan base or whether it be the national stage mentality of the fan base. So the only difference I saw last year was in promotion versus previous years where you guys really emphasized the branding, you know what I mean? Not just the Riddell and, and the Adidas, you know, uh, hookup, but the branding itself was, this is our brand. We are this, right? It wasn't, we are the rebellion. We are, you know, the Majestics. No, no, we are the WNFC. So it's no yep. different than the, the Shield in the NFL, basically. Yep. Yeah, the, um, and, and, you know, I if you ask around the women's football community, whether there's people in our league or out of our league, and you ask them about the WNFC, you know, it was, it was crazy, but I was having a conversation uh, last weekend with um, a girl that plays flag football. She's never been in tackle football, but she's very heavy in the, in the women's competitive uh, flag football. And she, you know, follows the WNFC and she follows what we're doing. And she mentioned, you know, how um, much of an impact it had, how much she noticed, um, and paid attention to the tryouts when we released the tryout information. Well, if you notice one, you know, one thing about the tryout information, it was a WNFC national tryout day, right? We're moving as one, we're branding as one, all the templates for the flyers look the same, you know, and, and that stuff isn't easy to do, right? It takes a team, you know, we brought on um, Amari Hollis. She's for years and years and years assisted with the Dallas franchises in, in a number of different, you know, capacities. And she came on um, to the WNFC to help in our branding department. And, you know, it, it takes the resources. It takes the people who all share that same vision that we talked about to come together and build a team. This isn't one person doing it. You know, we have, um, from the admin office to the operations to the, the executive team, the commissioner's office, technology, branding, you know, those are, there's a whole team of people that we have bought into that are, that believe in and, and see the dream. They see the vision. They have the same vision, right? Um, but to your point, yeah, the, the brand is everything. And the WNFC brand is powerful. It's done a lot for some of our um, small market teams that came in that were, you know, one you know one year in prior to coming into us. And, you know, I'm going to use the rebellion as an example. 
um, they came in and, you know, they aligned with the WNFC. They bought in completely. They bought in 110% to everything that we do, to everything we ask them to do. They move like we move. And now the Rebellion, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do this year. You know, Nenji and Katie got the um, ownership, um, I think it was the, the ownership um, award last year for being like mm-hmm. the, the you know, the best uh, team owners in the league. And I, I think that they're really, you know, they're, they're onto something there. And um, they bought in, right? They drank the Kool-Aid. Well, Elizabeth, just the fact that they streamed, not the fact that you guys did, you know, the live streaming of the ship, but the fact that they did a very good streaming and set up a really good team to do the, to do the broadcasting, right, locally, um, I think yep. really impacted not just them, but it really impacted people seeing, okay, this is what league, and this is the WNFC, you know what I mean? So it Italy bring the attention span to an average person that was watching and to ask, what is this league, right? That, was, that would have been the question. What is this? Yeah. And yeah. so just, just the fact that they brought the level of visibility, in other words, on a broadcast, and then locally impacted that, um, and then kind of made the, the brand kind of relevant, really put more people to see, okay, maybe they didn't pay attention before to the rebellion, but now they're paying attention to, okay, well, what is this WNFC, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the content is huge, right? Like if you look mm-hmm. back historically in women's football, our content is crap and it's because we yeah. don't have the technology. We don't have the money to put into the technology. We don't have the resources. We don't have, you know, multi-thousand dollar production crews out there we don't have that stuff but if we did could you imagine where we would be now you know like Mm -hmm. it it, we have to start somewhere and then and and the the deal with you to america and the the getting the content that we're going to you know produce and and put on tv next year um that's that's a huge first step and it's one that i think that's been kind of um overlooked a little bit in some of our announcements is how huge that's going to be. You know, we're not just going to get on there and air um, a two hour long football game, right. With all of the, you know, timeouts and half, you know, sure, sure. it's not just going to be a live stream feed that's out there. It's going to be a produced show. I always, produced game. I, was, I always said, you know, uh, Mitchell Mortaza of the legends football league has always been criticized, right. For whatever reason on his brand. But he's always put together a good uh, cutout or a good broadcast yeah. mentality. And I think that you're in the same boat here. It's just how do we present it on a visual matter, right? Because we've had it before. Yeah. It's great play. Everything's great. But nobody's been paying attention, to your point, you know, crappy YouTube video mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But we start putting it on a highly visible aspect and, to your point, a good edited broadcast. Uh, it's going to be no different than, you know, watching Division Three or ESPN3 or watching all the other platforms that are out there. So people will right. take notice based on that. It's no different than, you know, what WWE does, right? Promo cuts, does editing, all that stuff, all the hype before a match or before a game, before everything. Yep. So, yeah, a little bit of work behind it. Um, but that's tough, right? And money, like, to too, right? Before, we have to put it's that, become a yeah. lot – yeah, it's become very tough because you have to be willing to – you know, at this point, I think everybody's an intern. <laughs> for telling everybody, nobody's getting paid <laughs> still yet, yeah. right? So we're all interning right. for a position in some sort of, you know, aspect, right? Technology, mobile. So everybody's kind of interning. 
to be a part of this great, uh, you know, vision that we have or that the opportunity is going to happen. Um, but you know what, Liz, what, what, what makes you more proud from year one? Was it uh, the rebellion standing out on broadcast or was it the fact that we had no forfeits for the whole year? I mean, on, on, because of you, in other words, like yourself, what made you more proud of year one? Um, you know, I think that the no forfeits probably win um, because it's that's something that's not easy to do. It's just not easy to do. That's the that's the bottom line, you know. Um, and for me, that's uh, operationally, you know, that was pulling that off was was pretty big. That was a pretty big deal. How many Starbucks did you go through and sweat it out? Did you have to drink a lot of oh, Starbucks? God. <laughs> I'm a caffeine junkie, so yeah, I uh, I'll take it all. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's it takes a lot. You know, there's a there's a lot of nights that you know it's you know getting home from work and then falling asleep on your laptop at night, right? And waking up in the morning and doing it all over again. And um, welcome to my you know, world. We, we love. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, we know why we're doing it. And we love doing it. And um, the seeing how seeing the women that really truly appreciate what it is that we're doing, right? That really truly appreciate um, and get excited about like all that fan gear or um, not the fan gear, all the gear, the Adidas gear that we got to hang, hand out at championship weekend. You know, that was so cool being a part of that was so cool and and that was the first time that that's ever happened that was the first time that any woman has ever been gifted anything like that in women's football to that at least to that magnitude right um yeah yeah and, and to be a, to be able to do that oh man and, and to so see does that, that bring chills to you when that happened like you're sitting there, there and you're like right i mean yes. you got a lot of emotion yes. inside right but yes. at the same time yeah. you're like this is another stage, right? You have to like say, Oh, this is another stage. We just arrived at another stage. We did. We did. And, and, you know, when you, you calculate the, the, the dollar amount behind what was gifted mm-hmm. um, is crazy, right? Crazy. It's just, it's never happened and it's happening and it's going to continue to happen because we're not going to stop. Elizabeth, uh, the international game, is huge. We cover it wall to wall, biggest network that we have. We've had, you know, over 10 years of relationships, but the fact that it is beyond the U S border, it's kind of, it, it shocks a lot of people. Right. But you start to look at yeah. it in a scope where there's a lot of women that are very passionate about playing this sport in general, not just in the United States, but overall internationally as well. And just the fact that this is a, driven passion for them to play that that right there uh, to me when i see it you know i see it in different aspects you know the the little island in guam honduras central america you got brazil that just kicked off their second third year now i mean they're, they're just a lot of like fire to play this sport yeah yeah i think that um one thing that we have to always remember is to not lose that passion, right? To not lose that fire for for why we're doing it. We're doing it because we love doing it, right? We play the the women that have mm-hmm. played women's football do it because they love doing it. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Trust and believe. There is no reason to do it if you have not if you're not in love with it. 
Um, mm-hmm. We can't lose that, you know, with, with the strides that we're making and the steps that we're taking, you know, this can't turn into a situation where um, the mentality changes and people say, what's in it for me? Right. Because as soon as that happens, we're going to hit a, we're going to hit a roadblock. So as long as the women keep, keep bringing that passion to women's football that they have always brought, then this, um, we're going to make it. Elizabeth, uh, Lizbeth, uh, Madrigan, the first, you know, touchdown in the WNFC and it wasn't an American player. It was a international <laughs> player. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. that right there, I was, when that happened, I told a couple friends when we were watching the, you know, the Atlanta game there. And when that happened, I said, this is huge. This has never happened before. It's, yep. That's a huge moment. You know what I mean? To have yeah. a, a, the first touchdown in the WNFC not be an American player. That's a notable thing. You know what I mean? And that's, that's international reach. And that's like high caliber athlete. This is not just, you know, running the mill type of player. This is a, you know, on team Mexico, which won the bronze medal, you know, multi-time yep. champion in Mexico, you know what I mean? So high caliber athlete. Yep. So just the fact that that happened, you can stand back and go, this league has the potential, not the fact, not to say that the WFA didn't have, you know, previous players from overseas or international, but the fact that it was on a live feed in its first year and it was presented in a way where it was professional driven, sort of like, you know, red zone mentality. Uh, I thought that was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And kudos to the, you know, to the Atlanta Phoenix and, and April. And, um, you know, I know Tony Fuller really, um, her and, and Lizbeth really um, developed a, a good bond. And, and I think that whole, um, that whole situation, that whole opportunity was really inspiring. And it, it, honestly, I think it opened up the eyes of a lot of people. I know that several, um, I think Seattle picked up a couple international folks, didn't they? After the announcement yeah. that Elizabeth was going to play for Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. Another, another top high quality, wasn't it, it was Gabby, right? Mm-hmm. Who was the girl that, is that right? Sylvie. It was Sylvie. Sylvie. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, so you know that uh, that whole um, experience, I think it, um, um, you know, again, kudos to the the Phoenix and and opening the doors there and opening their their home to to Elizabeth and and Elizabeth, you know, looking for that opportunity and wanting to take that chance and and I think it um, it showed other teams and other international players that there are opportunities there. So all the players listening right now, everybody on the podcast that is dived into you and you know what uh an amazing uh individual you are for taking on and putting up everything on your shoulder to kind of guide this ship and like you said we haven't done anything yet you know it's still in the process uh but you know i want to thank you because you have done an amazing job in year one um year two we have not seen yet of course so we're coming onto it now but for year one uh, to spearhead it and to make it successful. And a lot of teams, you know, we all speak about, you know, everybody doing their job and taking care of business and things, but it just did seem like that was the motto for the year one, everybody take, you know, doing their job and take care of business, which in reality, when it boiled down to the end, when you got the nine cup 
championship and you got to you know see the two best teams there and given that the Falcons had always been kind of like the independent team that oh they don't play anybody right and all of a sudden mm-hmm. we got to see best of the west you guys against them and then we got to see it again at the nine cup it sort of featured you know what this brand can be in other words absolutely in terms of on field play absolutely yeah it it's you know there are um top quality football teams in this in this league obviously there are top quality football teams in other leagues as well um but the um the reason we exist in the WNFC is not just to have a couple top quality teams, right? It's to build up all the other teams in the league, right? You know, and then granted, that's not saying they're all going to be, you know, the Texas elite or a Utah Falcons or, you know, even a San Diego surge, you know, that, that stature, who knows they could be, but they're not all going to be right. Um, but we exist to make the teams better because if the brand, if the teams get stronger, the brand gets stronger, right? The league gets stronger. Um, and, and that's what it's about. It's about quality football. It's about something that people will want to pay to go see. And I'm not talking just people that you're related to, right? I'm talking about yeah. people that will, you know, turn on a TV or subscribe to a, um, you know, a, a YouTube America channel so they can watch women's football on TV because of the quality and the product of what's on the field. And that's what we need but to, you know, we need to keep, yeah. Sort of makes everybody angry when you got pro Frisbee on ESPN and you yeah. have no women's tackle football. I think I watched like this ping pong version, but it was with a head and a volleyball. And yeah. I saw something like yeah. that too. I just, you yeah. know, I can't, I, yeah. I share in that anger. Yeah. I was like, I, I sit there sometimes and I'm like, wow, we can't even get the, well, yeah. But uh, anyways, it's uh it you know it, you going to year two scary in a way because year one was so successful, um, so we we don't know what you'll have in, in what they call the mailbag, <laughs> what kind of gifts you're gonna <laughs> pull out in February March you know leading up to April, uh, and given your laughter I'm pretty sure you have plenty of that of the mailbag, and you haven't you know re- revealed yes. yet. Right? Yeah, we just um, know that we are um, you know, about in the game. So year year after year, we intend to do that, right? Which means that year two is going to be better than year one. Um, I was gonna I was gonna give props, but since I got you on, uh, the Nighthawks, I mean, what an impressive bunch out there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of America, and they got to play probably the toughest teams, you know, in, in, or the toughest team, the champs, more than once. Uh, really impressive bunch out there, and uh, I hope they keep it up. I know at some point down there was rumors, okay, they might not come back or whatever, but uh, what an impressive team right there. Uh, no different than probably the Rebellion on the opposite side because the Rebellion was, you know, standing out with broadcasting and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, kudos out to the Nighthawks out there for, you know, trying to stay toe-to-toe with the best team. The huge, best team, huge, huge you know? kudos. Huge kudos to them out there. That's a tough team. You know, um, they're young, obviously they're new, um, but from a physicality standpoint and a, um, a mentality standpoint, they come to win, right? They, they play, they play with um, tenacity, um, they play with attitude, <laughs> they play with spunk, they play with fire, um, and they play tough. You know, that was um, one of the most physical games um, was, our, was our road trip to Nebraska. So yeah, they're, it's, it's, um, they're a tough, tough. team. 
Yeah. Um, Liz, are you stepping away at some point to do the CO in more in, in a more proficient, or are you going to continue to do, you know, the player? Because I know that takes a grind on everybody too. Yeah, and you know, I um, I'm definitely you know um, working towards the end of my career and and hanging up the cleats. I um. I intended on doing that this year. I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, I have a head coach that is uh, adamant about me playing. Um, so, um, but I, you know, I've accomplished everything that I've, I could have ever dreamed of accomplishing on the field. Um, I still have the same love and passion for the game. Um, you know, and, and you put me on a, you put me on a, a field and it's a whole, it's a whole new ball game for me. Right. That's a whole new, mm-hmm. that's, Challenge accepted. I'm in. Um, but, you know, to your point, and it's not just um, the the operations of the league. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where it's like, okay, when do I, when do I take a step away from, you know, my, my corporate career? When do I, when can I make that move to really, truly, um, you know, step into this full time because, you know, that's, that's something to think about too, is all this success and progress that we have, we're doing this like on top of our full-time jobs, you know, that are very demanding jobs at that, you know, we don't just get to go in right. and punch a clock and sit there and twiddle our thumbs all day. Um, so soon it, it's going to happen soon. Is it going to be this year? Probably not, but it'll happen soon. The reason I bring it up is because at some point you get to that level of not just the physical level, but the, the, the devoted time level, you know, not enough time because you're doing other things and it gives you a lot more perspective when you devote to something in that sense. So, um, you know, you came from Cleveland, you started out in Cleveland. Uh, the opportunity, as you said before, was probably limited there in that aspect of it. And then you go to Dallas. And so, you know, what was the transition like going from, you know, the fusion to the uh, elite, in other words? Um, so anytime you – anytime anybody ever has the opportunity to step into um, an organization that has the culture um, that the um, elite organization has, it's, um, it's going to be very rewarding. For any anybody that's ever struggled with a little bit of that um, in their football careers, and not saying that the Cleveland Fusion was a bad culture, but it you know it had taken its course through several owners. Right, you were hanging mm-hmm. on to about 13 veterans for that period of time, struggling to bring in new rookies, low numbers. You know, the, um, so and the culture took its toll. Right, um, so or all of that took its toll on the culture, I should say. Um, but you know, they've got a good ownership crew there now. I'm excited for what they're, what they're building. Um, but it was a turning point in my career because I came over, um, and I, you know, um, (laughs) was, um, argue, you know, I, I was kind of the one that ran shit over on the fusion side. And then I came over to a whole team that runs shit, meaning, you know, there's a lot of top dogs here, right? There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of gold medalists. There's a lot of all Americans. There's a lot of, of that over here. Um, so, and with, you know, all of that comes a bravado and, uh, 
so it was a, it was, it was a fun first year. Um, but I, um, pretty quickly, I think fit in because the one thing that, um, I think I show most on the field is my work ethic and my dedication to my team. Um, you know, and, and to what I'm doing, I don't, I don't bullshit. I don't half ass. I'm a straight shooter. Sometimes I'll say shit people don't want to hear. Um, but, uh, I'm going to always back it up. All right. Well, I mean, being vocal doesn't put you in jail or anything. It just makes you, no. you know, stand out <laughs> in front of a lineup, right? That's, right. that's what I was told before. <laughs> Not that Good you're point. convicted or anything. <laughs> um, Not yet. No, not yet. Um, so, you know what? The changeover to that and then you get to go to Worlds and to experience the international game, um, do you think as a COO, is the WNFC talent pool, will it be from the universities or are we looking at, you know, flag pro tournaments? Uh, are we looking at the, you know, flag leagues that are that are being sprung out out there in different uh, high schools and things like that what what do you think the talent pool is going to come from for the brand to sustain itself once it reaches some sort of visibility since all we don't have above. college football basically yeah it's going to have to be all of the above right um yeah i think us leveraging and, and um building better partnerships with our universities is going to be one thing um, and that is something that we've already um, kind of started to begin um, some discussions around on, on what are our next steps in doing that, right, and, and truly leveraging those relationships and building that um, to essentially get the attention of, you know, the athletes as they're, as they're leaving college. Um, I think we can do more there, right? I think that there is a certain um, middle area where there's a lot of, flag players that play tackle too. There's still a lot that don't, right? But the majority of the flag players that don't play tackle are aware of tackle, right? And they just don't want to play. And that's fine, right? To each his own. Um, mm-hmm. But so I think, I, I still think that both our areas are, you know, are always going to continue to be um, opportunities for us to attract talent. Elizabeth, is it the the cost to play tackle? Is that the deterrent? when you approach like a flag player, cause they're not going to, they're not paying much for equipment, right? They're paying for well, flights or turns and things like that. So do you think the if you eliminated the cost as our vision is where the cost isn't become, doesn't become an issue. Do you think they'd be swayed over to come over? Um, possibly, you know, possibly. I think that a, a lot of um, the deterrent with, um, women's football is also the time commitment. You know, people that do know of athletes that know about us that Mm -hmm. don't commit usually can't because of a, of an outside, you know, another obligation that prohibits them from doing so. And the, and the time commitment that's there. So, you know, when we get to a position that, you know, where we're actually being able to pay players or not have them pay, um, then maybe that would help too, right. To help sway them. Um, but I think that that also plays into it a little bit. All right. So it's been very entertaining to chat with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Vegas um, and at the banquet and the induction. And obviously looking forward to the Hall of Fame game. Should be a lot of talented players. They're going to play on both the East and the West as we go there. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a great, great time at the Texas Station. That's what's going to happen on December 4th through the 8th. 
And so, uh, Elizabeth, well-deserved honors to get into the Hall of Fame. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, agree with us and agreed with, obviously, the committee that, you know, chose you for the class of 2019. So congratulations to you, uh, to all your accolades, and to the amazing job that you have done as the COO of year one of the WNFC. So uh, kudos to you. Thank you. And kudos to you. I see, I see all the moves you're making and uh, you're, you're doing a lot too. And you're doing a hell of a job, Oscar. So congratulations to you on all your successes as well. And I will see you in Vegas. All right. Safe travels. Uh, we'll touch base uh, probably Thursday evening or so out there. Uh, safe travels. Say hi to OG for me. And uh, let's, uh, let's see what year two looks for the WNFC 2020. Let's do it. Let's do it. Have a great night. You too, Oscar. All right, guys, uh, that was Elizabeth uh, Dillo Jenkins, COO of the WNFC, one of our standing athletes uh, on the field as well, Team USA champion, as well as the uh, Texas Elite Nine Cup champion for year one of the WNFC. Um, just an amazing uh, woman all the way around. And so uh, she's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this coming December 4th through the 8th. Uh, at the Texas station, and you go to Women's Hall of Fame uh, on Facebook and get the link there. You can go to the hub uh, at the hub at facebook.com, and we get certain featured uh, Hall of Famers in there as well, and you get the link there directly to the Facebook page as well. So uh, we're going to see Elizabeth uh, Dillo Jenkins uh, in a couple days here, and I'm looking forward to being in Vegas. It's going to fly out on Thursday afternoon, should be the Thursday night, and then obviously Friday, Saturday, and flying back Sunday because I have some commitments as well. So, But I'll be there on um, Friday, uh, Friday, obviously, Thursday night and Friday, Saturday. Looking forward to meeting everybody there, all the amazing t- uh, players that are going to be participating at the Hall of Fame game, East and West squads, as well as the class of 2019 Hall of Famers. So it's going to be a great event coming up there. The other event that we got to mention Coming up is the AFE Caribbean Bowl. That's December 7th, and that's going to be live streamed by Steve uh, Weed uh, Productions, and that's uh, at the Facebook uh, Gridiron at the Hub, and you can get the link there at the AFE Caribbean Bowl, and the link will be there via live stream on December 7th. It will be AFE U.S. All-Stars taking on the Mexican All-Stars over in the Caribbean, so really exciting times there as well. Uh, Before we dive into the college game, we'll finish up with the NFL at this point. Uh, The NFL matchups coming up for uh, week 14, we talked about Dallas against Chicago. Not a real great, you know, matchup per se at that point, but we'll see, uh, you know, how it turns out at this point. Um, And so we have Seattle against Los Angeles. Crucial matchup here. Uh, A win by Seattle really puts them in the front runner's seat. A loss by the Rams would give San Francisco an edge. And so that's what the Niners are going to be watching for on Sunday night, um, whether Los Angeles, you know, wins or Seattle wins. Too crucial there because it, it has to do with either the tiebreaker as well. Um, and then you got new uh, the Giants against Philly, and that's going to be um, on that Monday night as well. Um, so we'll dive into college football at this point. So let me go 
get my notes here because college football is always in exciting times. And this past weekend, no different in terms of college football and how it turns out. Um, so let me dive into here and kind of get the recap here for college football. And I got to go to the hub. Of course, you got to go to the hub. Uh, and if you haven't gone to our Twitter feed, check it out on our Twitter feed there. You get the link to the podcast as well. But you get uh, the college college football uh, rundown there. And uh, shout out to Taclio. Taclio does an amazing job at Taclio. An amazing job on college, covering college football, and that's who we follow as well. So, um, so five college football championships to watch in week four, week fifteen. So we're going to go. Ohio State remains number one in the new college football playoff rankings uh, for the upcoming week fifteen. And so after Ohio State, it's LSU at number two, Clemson third, and then you got Georgia at number four. Utah is then a kind of surprise at number five, one ranking away from a semifinal spot. And that's what we had talked about. Uh, I think Holly and Troy prior to that had talked about where Utah would land at this point. So that's the the big question here. Uh, so coming up to the next, this coming week, uh, number one, Ohio State will be taking on number eight, Wisconsin, and that will be on Fox on Saturday. And then number two, LSU, We'll be taking on number four, Georgia. The matchup to watch here is that one right there, LSU versus Georgia. LSU took care of Alabama. If they take down Georgia, will that make uh, a eligible Utah, if they win, kind of plug into that? So we'll see it. It's on CBS uh, on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Then you got Clemson, number three, uh, taking on number 23, Virginia. Could we have a shocker? If Virginia can kind of pull the upset here, it's going to be on ABC. Probably not, but we'll see. And then the game that uh, Holly and everybody else on the West Coast is looking forward to, number five, Utah, taking on number 13, Oregon. And that will be at Levi Stadium. That's where she's headed uh, tomorrow uh, to try to watch it on Friday. Um, so she's heading to San Francisco to what, Santa Clara, 8 p.m. on Friday on ABC Utah versus number 13, Oregon. Uh, Utah wins and a uh, Georgia loss could plug them into the top four, which would be a surprising thing. Number six, Oklahoma taking on number seven, Baylor, also a competitive matchup there on ABC. And then you're, and then you have pretty much the rest of the, the rest of the pack. But overall it's uh, Ohio state 12 and 0, LSU 12 and 0 and the rankings are one and two Clemson 12 and 0 they're number three Georgia number four Utah number five Oklahoma and you got Baylor Wisconsin Florida Penn State rounding up the top 10 at this point for the college football aspects of it so um, we are going to be pretty much covering it all uh, in terms of what's going to happen this past this this coming weekend and we'll see how it, that turns out in terms of you know, who lands where. Um, we are also going to dive in uh, to the Week 14 recap. And where does Alabama go from here? So Tua out. Uh, so the college football playoff race is down to uh, another elite rivalry this weekend. So it's basically the, lo- the loss of Alabama, who gave up 48 points and missed a 30-yard game-tying goal in the closing minutes. That right there hurts them. 
very disappointing. Uh, that was uh, Coach Saban, and he knows, obviously, how disappointing that was. So the Alabama loss complicates the New Year's Six Bowl picture, which would have featured we would feature at this point several different matchups this week, including uh, the ACC and the Big Ten. So the projection for the postseason, uh, the games they're going to happen. Um, so at this point, it's anybody's guess until this week 15. So I don't know, you know, with the conference championship weekend coming up, uh, a lot of teams start to lobby based on their wins and how they win and the amount of points that they score, uh, things like that. But overall, I mean, that's what it, that's what it boils down to. So at this point, if you're looking at the bowl projections, you know, and there's a lot of bowls, and that's the one thing that I take away from all this, but you have a lot of bowls, and, and you know, people start slotting these teams in certain bowl games, and where are they going to land, and how they're going to land, and what bowls they're going to go to. And so, for example, if Baylor doesn't finish high enough to reach the New Year's Six, the Bears would be projected at 11-2, and two, will slide into the Alamo Bowl as a likely favorite against a quality USC team. So there you go. Baylor has a backdoor shot at reaching the playoffs. However, if, it, if they beat Oklahoma in next week's Big 12 title game, it gets them some help everywhere else. So the matchup against the Trojans would be an exciting one to be there for. So Baylor, USC – with really complicated concerns there as well. So, and then you have, uh, you know, other complicated concerns. I mean, the Wolverines kind of rebound in that sense. Um, but what does Michigan get for a 9-3 season capped by another loss to Ohio State? Big question there. And that's what happened. So there's a good chance the Wolverines play in the Holiday Bowl against a Pac-12 team. So Michigan has an outside shot at a Central Florida-based game as well, perhaps the Gators of Florida, if the committee doesn't go with Iowa instead, which is what McKenzie would probably say. Uh, Jim Harbaugh will have an opportunity at finishing with another double-digit season and with a bold victory. We'll see how that pans out for him, but I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Citrus Bowl, could Auburn sneak into the New Year's Six? After the Iron Bowl win, it's possible, but unlikely considering the Tigers have three losses at this point. So I don't know what's, you know, what the Citrus will gladly take at this point, maybe uh, in Orlando against maybe the 10-win Minnesota, which has played an amazing ball this year, whose regular season ended in a disappointing home at home with uh, versus Wisconsin on Saturday, but they had played really good up to that point. Um, you got Penn State. It's the projected matchup for the Outback Bowl. So Texas A&M will play in either the Outback or the Texas Bowl since the Aggies went to Jacksonville uh, last season. If Penn State doesn't play in the Rose Bowl as the Big Ten's second-highest-ranked team, uh, the Nittany Lions will play in Tampa unless Orlando wants them for a second consecutive year. There's still some things that are confusing. To see how that works, it's just confusing. It's like lobbying for a position on what bowl and what city, what place we're going to do it. It's kind of crazy in that sense. That's the one thing that I can't continue to continue to grasp because it's just, that's the way it works. So the orange bowl, for example, 
the projection matchup or whoever's going to play in this game has Virginia versus Alabama. So they're projecting Virginia to be the highest-ranked ACC team when everything is said and done next week in Charlotte uh, following the league title. The Cavaliers won't beat Clemson, so a, a loss should be enough to keep Virginia inside the top 25 or, at worst, keep the selection committee to close by. Alabama slides to the orange this week from the Sugar in an at-large scenario following Saturday's loss at Auburn. So there's the scenario for the Orange Bowl. The Rose Bowl projection is Wisconsin versus Oregon. If Utah wins the Pac-12 and is invited to the Final Four, and that's what we're looking at in Week 15, can this Utah team somehow slide right in? And Georgia has to play big. Georgia is at number four. They got to play big. If they don't play big, they are losing. They, they, they basically are giving Utah an opportunity. If Utah wins the Pac-12 and is invited to the Final Four, that means Oregon will represent the league in the Rose Bowl at 10-3 and three overall against the Big Ten runner-up, which at this point would be Wisconsin. So in Pasadena on January 1st, if everything pans out as we're talking here, Wisconsin versus Oregon, that's what it will take. Penn State could play here if the Lions finish ranked above Wisconsin in the final committee rankings. So a lot of favoritism or lobbying, as they want to call it here. It's not a long shot to believe that that could happen should the Badgers lose by several touchdowns to the Buckeyes in Indianapolis. So there's what you're looking at in terms of the Rose Bowl. The Sugar Bowl, as we stand today, it would be projected as Georgia versus Oklahoma. So there's a scenario in which Oklahoma doesn't win the Big 12 and finishes at number five behind Utah for the coveted number four spot in the final four. So that would put the Sooners in the Sugar Bowl, likely against SEC runner-up Georgia, and Alabama could also be in this spot for the SEC if the Bulldogs are caged by LSU somehow. And how many Georgia fans would make another trip to New Orleans in this game? So we're looking at Georgia-Oklahoma for the Sugar Bowl as we stand today. The Cotton Bowl uh, – no, we even talk about the Cotton Bowl because that's just going to be just messy, anyways. So we're looking at um, the semifinals, which would be the Peach Bowl, and that would that would be projected today. Number one LSU taking on number four Utah. Given if Utah wins the Pac-12, will LSU get the covered number one seed uh, and play close to home in Atlanta in the playoff semifinal? So LSU's dropped behind Ohio State last week in the selection committee's top four. But Saturday's 50-7 to win over A&M, coupled with the probable win over fourth-ranked Georgia in this coming week's SEC title game, should be enough to regain a top bid. The number four seed is the bigger question, and it's a four-team race between, we just said it before, Oklahoma, Utah, Georgia, and Baylor. If Utah beats one loss Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, it's hard to imagine Utah losing ground to Oklahoma, 
who may own a Big 12 title versus Baylor. Then we go to the Fiesta Bowl in the semifinals, and that would be projected as number two Ohio State to take on number three Clemson. So if Clemson continues to throttle the competition, if they continue to kind of just put up their points up, the Tigers' most dominant of the season it's against, obviously, Georgia. That was a good uh, road win for them. The Gamecocks finished 4-8 and eight in the season. So Ohio State handled Michigan and should remain at number one, standing in Tuesday's playoff ranking, which came out today. But will the Buckeyes stay there in the final polling is the question. So we don't think – I don't think uh, – obviously, I don't think if LSU – I don't know if LSU, if LSU wins out, then, I mean, I don't know if it's going to change anything at this point, but it might. And then the the college football national championship, as it stands right now, the projection would be number one LSU against number two Ohio State. So will college football fans get to see the best two teams in the nation battle it out, 14-0 record, seven weeks from now in the Big Easy? So, you know, the Tigers and Buckeyes will each have to make – a, you know, basically have to beat out a formal opponent. One of them will have to face Clemson, riding a 28-game winning streak to advance to the national championship. Ohio State has 10 unbeaten seasons in the program's history, uh, dating back to 2012 when Urban Meyer. Uh, so Justin Fields versus Joe Burrow is the matchup that we're going to be watching. So that right there is your college football rundown. And uh, so I got a lot of sources that I got information from ESPN, 24 seven sports, Fox sports, uh, a lot of homework for me to kind of dive into the college game. Cause I don't follow it as closely as I do the NFL. And so it's kind of an exciting week in uh, college football. A lot of the breakdowns, uh, we should have our co-host next week coming in McKenzie and Holly, and we'll kind of dive into the last two weeks before we get to the new year in the college game. And it's always exciting to kind of kind of brainstorm and figure out who's going to land where and what's going to happen and all that. Um, but, you know, at this point, just an exciting uh, race to the top four. I really hope Utah gets in. I really think Utah is the key. Um, I think if they get in, it's a totally different ball game. It mixes up everything that, that was happening in college football this week. It kind of makes an exciting thing where – if Georgia doesn't, if Georgia loses and doesn't get in, Utah wins, or for whatever reason, uh, it's going to be a really good buzz nationwide because uh, Utah's a program that's really under the radar. And this year they've made such a good impact in terms of going from like the top 25 to the top 20, and all of a sudden now we get into the top four. So you got to really, uh, you know, shout out to the Utah youth out there. They've done a great job this year to try to get themselves into a national prominent stage, and they're able to do it and hopefully that they can continue to do it at this point. Um, so we had 10 takeaways from week 13 in the National Football League. So we will go into what we talked about before. So the takeaways, uh, we talked about quarterbacks at the beginning of, of the hour. Uh, so we can't get enough of Lamar Jackson, number one, uh, before Patrick Mahomes was sidelined. Patrick Mahomes was on fire, continues to be on fire and Deshaun Watson doing his thing, beating the GOAT. So between Jackson and Watson, both of them have now taken down Tom Brady. That's really the reality and the facts. So 
it's you know people will say oh it's just an aging Tom Brady that he's not in his prime doesn't matter because it boils down to wins and losses and they've beaten New England and that's what it matters right now so if we talk about quarterbacks Jackson's probably the most dangerous dual threat quarterback in the NFL that we've seen since maybe Michael Vick and maybe uh, not even RG3. I couldn't even compare RG3 to that because he wasn't that, that big of a threat, but I would say Michael Vick, we can compare him to um, a top defense like the one San Francisco had uh, did not limit him so much, but as, as we saw on Sunday during Baltimore's uh, win, even the most dominant front uh, won't stop him on the ground. He's virtually matchup proof, and he did really good. And the Niner defense is no joke. They are really good defense. They're stout. And so for Lamar Jackson to take care of business, uh, I know he made, he made my Rams look like just poo-poo on Monday night. So it really worked out for uh, the Niners to really make a showing there. So a tough matchup. This is the game that everybody's billing to be the Super Bowl matchup. San Francisco taking on Baltimore. Unfortunately, the road to the Super Bowl for Baltimore just got easier with the win. For San Francisco, it becomes a little bit more complicated. Uh, the other quarterback we got to talk about is Patrick Mahomes. So Mahomes helped the Chiefs cruise to a 40-9 to win over the Raiders, despite not playing his best. So the Raiders literally played down to Patrick Mahomes, or was Patrick Mahomes just kind of normal and moderate? Because it looked like the Raiders didn't do much. So it's clear that the Chiefs quarterback is as good or better than most others when he's not at his usual elite level. So that's where you kind of like scratch your head as a Raider fan. You say, what, what happened to us? Because they couldn't get anything done with a Patrick Mahomes that wasn't even uh, elite in a lot of sense. So the things you can do with the ball just aren't fair and it's, wild and he's back running for touchdowns weeks after dislocating his kneecap so that's you know Patrick Mahomes up there for the Chiefs and instead of talking about how bad the Patriots offense looked Sunday night like and I know they look real bad because I was on Twitter and a lot of Pat fans and a lot of Pat uh, you know accounts that I follow on Twitter that follow us as well uh, the focus uh, which should have been on Watson producing obviously the, the most impressive performance of his young career in prime time, but everybody went, well, oh my God, what happened to the, what happened to, you know, Tom Brady, what happened to the offense, uh, the, the front line? Uh, well, it's garbage. It's really what it is. It's garbage. The front line's garbage. And that's what it boiled down to. So throwing the Texans on his back uh, with one Superman like play after another um, Watson was the key to picking up or taking apart the new England apparently the vaunted defense that the Ravens also took care of. So massive win for Houston to stay in that race in the uh, AFC North. Uh, I'm sorry, AFC South. And they stay in contention there with it. Uh, all three incredibly likable stars. And we're looking at them as being the stars for the next, you know, I would say the next five years. I, I, I want to go say 10 years, but given or barring any injury or anything like that, you would think they would be the up-and-coming stars that we're going to be talking about for a long time. The other thing that we have to look at is we had David Carr at the beginning of the season. Uh, John Gruden comes in. AB is gone. Everything changed for the Raiders. Here we go. And the Raiders were looking like they were really good. You know, he was looking like 
his uh, MVP candidate form of 2016. But things changed very quickly in the NFL. So now after two straight blowout losses, uh, when the Raiders manage just one garbage touchdown, the most important position on the field is an area of concern against uh, with Raider Nation going to Vegas. Will it be David Carr going to Vegas? It's the question. Because Oakland isn't without its problems elsewhere. They got problems everywhere now. So we'll see if that's the case. But David Carr, you know, just digress. Just not doing really good. I mean, it's he's had his numbers. If everybody looked at his numbers, uh, you look at his numbers from 2014 up to now, uh, it's been pretty bad. I mean, they, they've gotten down and down and down. So at this point, we don't know what Mike Mayock is going to do. Uh, whether it be a rebuilding the Raiders for the new image in Vegas. Uh, the Raiders are contending for a playoff spot. So we'll see if, you know, if they can keep up. They got to get some wins here. Otherwise, they're going to lose their opportunity. So I don't know if that's going to be a situation that we go into there. The other bright spots, you got Drew Luck. Um, I'm sorry, Drew Luck. Um, you got Brandon Allen, who got his opportunity, obviously. And in Denver, I think it is, of all places. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, the Chargers, are they going to stay with Phillip Rivers or what's going to happen there too? So eventually they got to do an adjustment. And they started, they started like looking at stuff because it looks like they're not doing that. So in Jacksonville as well, I mean, controversy in Jacksonville has always been an issue. Uh, so far, Jacksonville has been outscored 129 to 47 over the last – four games while losing each contest. So that's not good for Coach Marone. And so I don't know if Tom Coughlin and Caldwell out there, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be the, the, the people they get ousted as well. So the three-headed monsters, the coach, the vice president, and the general manager. Um, remember, they're the people – that handling they were handing uh, Blake Bortles fifty four million, uh, and that was a while back. Remember, uh, it was Blake Bortles was supposed to be this huge guy, and then they sold Ramsey to the Rams. Uh, Nick Foles was supposed to be the savior of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and so at this point, Nick Foles probably needs to go too, because on Sunday, I mean, didn't work out very well. He had what? Not a good, not a good outing. So the argument for starting Foles moving forward is kind of a yeah, not very good. Uh, he carries a 22.1 million cap for next season. That's money the, you know, the new coaching staff if they're going to change out in Jacksonville will be getting. But we'll see how that happens on there. So I don't know. And then you got Miami as all places. Who would have thunk it? Uh, at this point, the Dolphins now three and nine. Uh, are kind of like improved from the beginning of the season when everybody's like, oh, I just want out of Miami. I don't want to be here. I don't want to even show up to work. I want to get out of here. And so they're looking ahead to next year, but Miami isn't waiting for week one in 2020 to start, you know, trying. So the team is getting a little bit of momentum now in the last couple of weeks here. So um, obviously Devontae Parker is one of those who is uh, their number one wideout, and he showed it why he can do it. I know I had him on my fantasy squad. I had him on my fantasy Fandle squad as well. So did really good production. And then you also have, you know, a nice quarterback in Fitzpatrick, but apparently he comes and goes 
So I don't know. He's never been Fitzmagic very, for very much, maybe a week or two. He's not consistent. So we'll see how they, they roll that out. And we'll even see if uh, if Coach Brian Flores survives. So we'll see because he would become the first coach from the Belichick tree to achieve and success after leaving New England. So we'll see how that goes. So um, a lot of questions in this week also. Did we overreact to Jared Goff? Because I know I did last week. And if you heard me last week, I overreacted. I said, hey, man, if this, guy, this kid doesn't get it together, if he doesn't you know, do his thing, I kind of was reserved to think that coming against the Cardinals, it would be a bad showing for my team. So I guess that kind of shows me that I'm not trusting them as much as I should be. But they did ball out. So Goff, uh, you know, major bounce back game against uh, Arizona. He came through with one of his best performances of this season. So 32 of 43, 424 yards, two touchdowns. uh, And then we brought in Blake Bortles in the fourth quarter. So that puts us at seven and five, keeping us alive in the NFC wildcard race. So this is going to be the game coming up here Sunday night, Russell Wilson against Jared Goff. It is the matchup game that we want to see. This is going to be a must win for both teams. Seattle wins. You get a nice edge in the NFC West. If the Rams win, then San Francisco has got a little road to go with. But so it's really, really impressive win by the Rams against the Cardinals, given the Cardinals were playing so well the last three weeks against competitive matchups, even against the Niners, they played twice against the Niners and they played tough. So the trouble is that golf struggles against a challenging uh, a defense, which is a longstanding problem. So we won't know what will happen here for Seattle, but Seattle brings it. Will Jarrett Goff bring it? So unless he uh, unless he leads the Rams to a playoff spot by rolling through a December schedule that that's going to have us face the Seahawks, the Niners, and the Cowboys. So if if we go 0 and 3 in the next three weeks, if we lose to Seattle, we lose to the Niners, and we lose to the Cowboys, everybody's going to question why did we give Jared Goff $110 million guaranteed. So LA fans are going to kind of question that. I'm going to question it because I don't know if he was well worth it at this point. But the bottom line is uh, the deal goes through 2022. So they'll go as far as, you know, they'll take it, but that'll be uh, the Ram fan face to kind of consider how, how far off are we and how much did we give him that? So um, I don't know if that's going to happen. We talked about Coach Rivera getting fired at the top of the hour. So the Panthers surged to a 14-0 first quarter lead over the Redskins on Sunday, and then they allowed 29 points the rest of the way. So maybe that right there is what got the owner, Tepid, pissed off and said, I'm done. I don't need – we don't need you anymore. So it was basically 
thoroughly an embarrassing loss to one of the NFL's worst teams. So McCaffrey posted just 41 rushing yards on 14 carries against a defense that's allowing 131 yards on the ground per game. So the Redskins uh, running back carved up, I think, uh, 129 on average, and he was averaging 12 and a half yards. So there you go. And then you got quarterback Kyle Allen, which was a good start for him, but then he started throwing some ugly interceptions. So at this point, I would say that is the reason that Coach Rivera was let go today. The fact that this Panther team offensively obviously was not doing so well. And so uh, it's kind of weird because when Coach Rivera was asked at the postgame that he was he worried about his future, he said he's not worried about his future. And so here we are 48 hours later, and he's canned. So I guess uh, he knew something we didn't know or he was confident that if he did get canned, I guess he goes on vacation. So that's what he's going to do. So um, the other thing was Kareem Hunt and Browns you know, in the Browns uh, week, you know, and so I think he played pretty well. uh, Nothing to rave about, but he was a restricted free agent with the whole Kansas City thing. Uh, So now the Browns can trade him or retain him for, you know, for a a little bit if they want, but they got Chubbs in the backfield. Uh, Can they work with, you know, both him and and, uh, Hunt? Chubbs and Hunt as a mixture in, in Brownland. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. But here we are. Um, some of the things that are going to happen to people are going to start talking about the next four weeks. Most people start talking about CBA negotiations, which was basically something that we don't talk about a lot until after the season. But based on performances by each team, or, each, you know, what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So the way the season is shaping up, either the Cowboys or the Eagles will be back in an NFC East title because the other team is less competent or consistency, you know, or consistent at all. Or it's either going to be the Seahawks or the Niners will go on the road for the wild card weekend, which is kind of sad in a way because the NFC West is way better than the NFC, than the NF, NFC East at this point. So when you talk about the AFC East and you say the Patriots, oh my God, they get, you know, they get a week schedule through seven weeks and then they get to win the division. Well, guess what? The NFC East, we got the same scenario happening here. Cowboys and Eagles, which one's going to flip a coin and which one's going to win the NFC East. So that, you know, I don't know at this point, it would, I would presume it would be, the Cowboys. So um, I'm, I'm thinking that's going to that's gonna be the case. Uh, and the Eagles have a chance to host one. You know, they can host also as well. But they just lost to the Dolphins. So I don't know at this point what the NFC picture is going to look like. But it's going to be interesting to see this next week as to what comes about. So the uh, formatting uh, at this point is to reward a team for winning their division, which is usually the case. Uh, but yet again, 
we're about to be showing a flawed approach to this if things don't go as planned this week. So division titles should guarantee nothing more than a spot in the tournament. Beyond that, only team records and tiebreakers that could come into play should determine the matchups and locations. But we will see as we get closer in the next couple weeks, we're going to kind of figure that out uh, in terms of who's going to get in, who's going to get out and what's going to happen here. But, and so at this point you have in the ASC, the Ravens as your number one seed, the Patriots, your number two seed, the Texans, your number three seed, uh, and then you got the Chiefs right there, and then you got Bills and Steelers kind of chasing. So the Texans upsetting the Patriots on Sunday night was an early Christmas gift for Baltimore, which jumped to the top of the AFC after obviously beating the Niners. The Ravens, who own the the head-to-head a tiebreaker over the Patriots, now control the fate with four games left. While the Patriots remain two games ahead of the Texans and the Chiefs, and uh, obviously Kansas City will face them next week, the Bills are just one game behind the reigning champs. Okay, Buffalo played, played New England close in September with Tom Brady and company uh, getting a win, 16-10. However, the Bills will need to beat the Ravens and the Steelers over the next two weeks to make a Week 16 rematch with New England a potential de- uh, division-deciding contest. Wouldn't that be cool? to have Callie Branson and the Bills stand out there and playing for the AFC East division? That's a weird thing to say right now, considering New England has owned it for so long. But the first time in recent memory, uh, the race for the AFC title is alive, and we'll see what happens there. So the teams in the hunt in the AFC, obviously the Titans in the South, the Raiders unbelievably still in that race in the West. The Colts and then the Browns, if you can believe that. So the final AFC playoff spot is currently a coin flip between Pittsburgh and Tennessee after they both earned critical wins over their wild card contenders. So while both teams face uh, both teams face anything but an easy uh, run over the last month of the campaign. Pittsburgh schedule at Arizona at uh, versus the Bills at home at the Jets and at the Ravens isn't as rough as Tennessee's schedule at the Raiders, at the Texans, at the Saints, and they get the Texans again. Wow. So the Titans really have to tough it out and to make it even interesting at this point. So a blowout loss to the Chiefs on Sunday – effectively ends the Raiders' chances of winning the AFC West. So they can only get into the playoffs if other things happen. So that's one thing there. So the Colts and the Browns are holding on by a thread following devastating losses to the Titans and to the Steelers, respectively. So if we go to the NFC uh, picture, here's where we stand coming up here, and that's crucial game is Sunday night. Seattle versus the Niners is what we're talking about. So the Niners, they own the West. 10 and 2, Saints South, 10 and 2, Packers North, 9 and 3, Cowboys East, 6 and 6, Seattle West, 9 and 2, and then the Vikings North, uh, 8 and 3. So the winner of next week's matchup between the Niners and New Orleans Saints in the Superdome will get the inside track to the NFC's number one seed 
and they would get home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Crucial. But the Seahawks, who play the Vikings, and they already won. So at this point, so San Francisco could be playing on the road during the wild card game, even if the Niners beat New Orleans. And that's the crucial matchup there. So Seattle taking care of business. If they take care of business on Sunday night, that makes them the the big kahuna in the NFC West. The Packers aren't out of the running by, uh, by, by the way, of taking care of business against the Giants. So the NFC North leaders can't slip up against the last four weeks. So they got to play really good ball, and then they will get to face the Vikings in Week 16. The Cowboys. So the Cowboys who lost, <laughs> who lost uh, to the Bills on Thanksgiving, likely feeling much better after uh, you know watching the, the Eagles implode against the Dolphins. So Dallas is the NFC East favorite as we stand today, and the outlook obviously hasn't changed much. So Philly and Dallas meet in week 16. If both the Eagles, who face the Giants, who are going to take on the Redskins, and at the Giants again, and the Cowboys, they're taking on the Bears, and then they'll take on the Rams, and they're obviously going to finish up against uh, Philly. So that's going to be the tiebreaker when it comes down to it. And the hunt in the NFC hunt here is Rams at number seven, Bears at number eight, uh, Buccaneers at 9 and Eagles at 10 So the Rams kept their Playoff hopes alive by blowing out The Arizona Cardinals Okay so they keep their hopes alive at this point uh, So they go up against Rival Seattle's Okay who took down the Vikings On Monday night So realistically here Minnesota Leapfrogs for the 6th seed LA needs to win against both Seattle at home And San Francisco on the road In the final 4 weeks that's a tall order to do, given the fact that offensively they haven't played that great. And so even, even though they played pretty good and awesome against Arizona, uh, Seattle and San Francisco are not Arizona. And so they will be a lot more talented. Uh, the Bears hold a uh, slight chance of making the postseason. So I don't know if that will happen at this point. But they'll need to beat the Cowboys Chiefs. So that's never going to happen. So you can just say not going to happen again. Um, so that's that's what it boils down to in the NFC playoff picture. So we're looking forward to a couple games, uh, all the games coming up. So you can go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Grand Breeze. Stay uh, in the know in terms of what's happening in the pro game as well as what's happening in the women's game. And then you go to Twitter as well, and we kind of chime in weekly there as well with a lot of our network partners that we carry out there uh, in terms of the handles that we care, that we follow. All right, um, so let's go into the women's recaps because internationally, big weekend. And like I said before, if you haven't gone to the Hub, I really, really appreciate everybody going there. I know everybody's, you know, we have followers. We have over 7,200 followers right now uh, at the Hub. Uh, and so if you go there, Gridiron Beauties, so it's at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. Check, you can get the link to the podcast today. Uh, over 7,200 uh, likes out there, and we have over 70, well, close to 7,500 followers, uh, followers that follow us as well. So it's the best network on the planet covering everything, talking about everything in terms of the women's game. So congratulations to, uh, we go to Brazil at this point, and the Brazilian championship 
uh, the BFA championship happened. Curitiba Silverhawks, 21-20 to 20 in a great matchup and battle, and you can watch it right there on the feed via All Sports TV out of Brazil. And so the Bangu Castadores fall by one point to the Curitiba Silverhawks. What an amazing job in Liga at BFA, and you can get to watch it there as well, uh, and you get the link there as well. Uh, so go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash square and beauties. The other great matchup uh, was the feed over at the Queensland uh, Queensland uh, Facebook page, and that was congratulations to our Nojo football athletes. What an amazing game they put out there, 18-12 to 12 in the great iron uh, Queensland matchup. It was the Amanda, Amanda Ewers, our Nojo football athlete, versus Christine Moran, our other Nojo football athlete, and Amanda's Thunder. Uh, she, she was playing as coach, player, and everything else. Congratulations, she wins MVP as well. And 18 to 12, the Griffith Thunder finally edged the Bayside Ravens. 18 to 12, congratulations to Amanda Ewers and um, Cassie Cubis out there as well on the victory for the Thunder to take down the Bayside Ravens. So the finals there, you can catch it live stream. Uh, Kenny Andrus, great job out there and it's at the Gridiron Queensland site. You go to the hub, you get the link there as well. Uh, the other matchups coming up that happened over in, obviously, in Queensland, besides Queensland, it was the matchup of Gridiron New South Wales semifinals. So the Northern Lady Raiders advanced to the Big Bowl, and they will face the champion Crusaders in a rivalry matchup, which was we're looking forward to all season, to these two of the best teams in Gridiron Victoria. Uh, shout out to the Northern Raiders for the amazing semifinal coverage. Still photos out there. The Raiders edge the Buccaneers 24-12. to 12. And now we have the finals that's going to happen, and that's going to be the Vic Bowl. Lady Raiders taking on Western Crusaders, and that will be December 8th. Uh, and we are looking forward to the live broadcast. And that should come in, uh, as soon as it comes in the links uh, there. We will go ahead and upload it and get you guys the uh, information there. So the semifinals, Crusaders 27-6 over Creighton Rangers. Lady Raiders 24-12 over Geelong Bucks. You get the highlights right there for the Bucks, And then you get the highlights, uh, still photo of the Western Crusaders winning 27-6 over Croton Rangers. And happy bunch there over in Gridiron Victoria. You also get um, the other uh, Feminina, which is the Sao Paulo Feminina, and that was in the BFA Feminina. You get that coverage there with our network partners, salioval.com, and then you also get fa.paranzi.com, and you get the recap of the Silverhawks winning the championship over the Bangu Castadores in Brazil. So really awesome uh, coverage that we got there, uh, and you can go there as well. The other matchup that happened was uh, over in Mexico, and uh, congratulations to Val- Valeria Quintero, who plays for the Legends Football League Austin Acoustic, and this year she was the head coach of the Casadoras de los Moches, and her team went undefeated this season, and they finalized their final 32-8 to against the uh, Culiacan Pretty Monsters at the Liga de Football del Pacifico. And you get the video there as well. They're really excited about what was happening there. The December 8th, 
The HAFL Femenil in Mexico championship is set, and that's the Lobos Grises will look to finish the season strong by beating Vaqueras in the final. Vaqueras took advantage of a week two big loss, and now a, they look to revenge a May 8th spring final defeat in the previous season. So we'll see what happens there. Shout out to Jonathan Rodriguez Vera for uh, giving us those uh, still photos of the event of the Lobos. And that was part of the week two uh, highlights there, but they're going to be coshing over in that game. The also news that happened is prelude to the America's bowl 2020 in Honduras, the Mexican squad uh, of the Guerreras Jaguars will be showcasing their talent over in 2020 at the America's bowl. And they had a scrimmage. You get the coverage there from them, about over 50 photos there showcasing the women that are preparing the combination of the LaFay Club and the Federation of Mexico. And they will be over at the uh, Women's uh, Bowl 2020 as well, and they're preparing for that aspect of it all. The semifinals in FX Mexico are going to happen. Leonas AFC taking on Thunder Girls and Bulldogs versus Dragonas Rojos. So you can get the information there at the hub. We will have coverage. FX Football Extremo Femenil will get that coverage for you as it happens and the results as well from the top four teams in the Division One semifinals in FX Mexico down south. And then you have in FX Sharks uh, taking on the undefeated. They're, they finished their season undefeated. So now the Division Two championship in FX Mexico will take place. And let me get my notes here. It will be uh, a great finish for them in Division Two. Sharks taking on, let me see, the finalists. Get my notes here. And uh, thanks to uh, Tercer Cuarto for doing the coverage and the notes of the event that happened in Mexico of the LaFay Championship. Uh, so we're looking at uh, the championship that happened, I mean, semifinals that happened down south. Uh, Division two was the uh, aspect of it. And so let me see what the score was. I didn't write it down. I should have wrote it down. And it's over at the hub as well. So you get the article there. So you're going to 30 to 13. That's what the score was. So the Sharks move on to Division two championship as well. And then we have uh, highlights there also of the under-18 tournament. Uh, Lobos de Toluca win the championship. Uh, from the LaFay under-18 tournament. So uh, it was Toluca versus Halcones Tescotos. So the Tescotos Seahawks at, at that point. And then you get the Amazonas advance uh, to the final where they'll face the Navy Seals. And that was the battle that happened there as well. You get the coverage there at the hub as well of everything that's happening in, in the game. We have Lexfa action also that happened this past weekend. You can go to the hub, courtesy of Lexfa Football Mexico, and it was the Thunder Girls beating the Cowgirls. And so you get second-half action live video there as well at the hub. So really awesome matchups that we had going on. And then the down south in Mexico as well, the Tornel uh, Ultra, the uh, Legends-style tournament, and the Barracudas edge Athenas Cancun in overtime, 21-14. So they win the season finale. Uh, live courtesy of where to where to go Playa del Carmen. So really appreciate them networking with us, with us as well. And that was on November 30th. So the final went to the Barracudas uh, in terms of the fall season that happened over there in that tournament. So get to watch 
everything at the hub, uh, courtesy of our network partners that we built over 10 years relationships, and they give us coverage everything that's happening. So if you haven't scrolled uh, over since 2010, it's kind of a historic landmark for us in terms of the Facebook page. So if you haven't checked it out, go there. You can also go to our YouTube channel. Uh, just plug in Gridiron Beauties on YouTube, and you can get all the highlights there, international videos, shared videos, everything that's happened in the women's game, you can dissect there and watch some videos. So if you're you know, lonely one night, you want to watch women's tackle football in every level on every continent, you go to the YouTube channel at Gridiron Beauties and subscribe there as well. And I really appreciate that. Let me just go through the steps here. Um, Costa Rica, totally forgot. Uh, Costa Rica, the Bulldog Flames won the championship there, and we get the article from uh, DarioExtra.com. And you can go check it out and read it. You might need Google Translate for some of these uh, articles that we have on the international scene. So that's always uh, best to, to kind of use in, in that sense. So Google Translate would be awesome if you guys use it often as well. Uh, Gridiron New South Wales, quarterfinals. UNSW uh, wins 3-0 in the quarterfinals with a forfeit from the opposing team. Neophone wins 32-18 against Central West Giants. Semifinals December 7th. And we have Sydney, the champion, Sydney Uni, number two seed against UNSW Raiders, number three seed. Uh, new new uh, North Sydney Rebels, the number one seed at 10-0. And, and then Neopan, number four. So the Opal Bowl will happen on December 14th. The winners will be decided this next weekend on December 7th. The other uh, championship is going to be Vic Bowl 8, and that's going to be Lady Raiders against Western Crusaders in Gridiron Vic. And then in Gridiron... West, uh, we have week nine, and we'll get the results for you there. Week 10 starts on December 10th. It'll be Swan, Swan City against Curtin, Perth Blitz against the West Coast Wolverines. Four weeks left in the season, and then we get the playoffs in Great Iron West. So that's kind of, uh, kind of pretty awesome there. Uh, in Italy, week five, we get the, we'll get the results for Pirates versus United Roma, and then Braves Bologna underdogs taking on the Seaman Milano. And then the semifinals are going to start on December 14th and 15th. And then the finals are January 5th and 6th of 2020. So a lot of action internationally. Uh, shout out, like I said, to the champion uh, Griffith Thunder this past weekend. And then also the Thunder Girls and Lexfa. Shout out to them as well. So championships uh, all weekend here. And you get the coverage. And Brazil, uh, Curitiba Silverhawks as well. So thanks to Elizabeth. Uh, Dillo Jenkins for coming in, the WN, WNFC COO and obviously champion in Team USA and uh, the nine cup, WNFC nine cup champion with the Texas Elite Spartans. And uh, we should be talking college football next week. Pretty heated. Who's going to go to what bowl game? Where are the seedings? Can Utah come in at number four if Georgia loses? All eyes are on Georgia, whether they're able to win or they're going to kind of falter at this point and put Utah in the mix. Uh, that's going to be interesting as, as well. And then which teams are going to land in which bowls uh, sequences. So it's pretty interesting. NFL week 14 as well. It's going to be interesting. I'm waiting for my Rams. they got to step it up against Seattle. they got to get this win. they got to go to 8-5 and five so they can get into the mix for the playoffs. I'm trusting Jared Goff. This is, last game was really good. I'm hoping he will stand out and play another outstanding game. I don't know if that's going to happen against Russell Wilson, but we'll see. Niner fans are cringing, Holly, and everybody else are like, okay, we need the Rams to lose. 
Uh, and I don't know if they want us to win, but it's a great matchup, obviously, for this coming weekend. Sunday night's going to be huge. That's where I'm coming back in the morning uh, from the uh, Hall of Fame event, which is going to happen December 4th through the 8th in Las Vegas this weekend. So we'll catch you there for all the players, including the Hall of Fame game that's going to happen on Sunday, or I mean Saturday, uh, so December 4th through the 8th. Hall of Fame game in Vegas, second annual Women's uh, Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Don't forget AFE Caribbean Bowl will be December 7th, live stream via livestream.com, and Steve Weed Productions will have that. So uh, what a a great show, 301. We'll be back next week. Hopefully we get our uh, co-host back, and we're going to be talking college football, talking NFL results. We're also going to dive into the women's game in terms of what's happening. If If you missed something, just go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Beauties. And before we get out of here, go to Zazzle.com all this month. If you go to Zazzle.com, click the link on our Twitter feed or our Facebook page at the Shop Now tab. Get your stuff up to 25% off. And then if you buy anything over $25, I have a referral code. You get 20, basically 20% off as well. But use the codes that are higher and you're good to go. Just pay for Zazzle Black Shipping. It's 10 bucks for the year and you get free shipping all over the U.S. So check it out at Zazzle.com for slash Korean Beauties and uh, buy stuff from us. Support the cause. Just get the, the classic Revolution shirt, which is the No Joke Football shirt. It says No Joke Football. So we'll catch you guys in Vegas. I'll, I'm happy and excited to see everybody in Vegas and to meet everybody this year. So if you are listening, catch you in Vegas. Otherwise, uh, for the absent Holly Custis, Mackenzie Brooks, And Louise Bean, Oscar Lopez saying we'll catch you here next week for 302. Have a great night, everybody.